Having empathy and validation, this was for me the biggest of them all. And like, again, I'm embarrassed saying this is that this was a one way street in a lot of ways where yes. you validated and you empathize with me so much. And like, I've, I've credited you with keeping me on the path. Like when it was difficult, hearing someone just say like, I understand that's tough. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you let me say those things without smacking me across the face and be like, now what about me? Mm. But you did it. You did it and we got through it. Um, now I'm saying what about me? Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Till the Wheels Fall Off. I am Matt. I'm Paige. Hey, and this is for all the new wheelies that are joining us. I, I don't know what happened this week, but we got a ton of requests into the, the Tufo community this week. It was a little wild. Uh -huh. We're having to vet everyone coming in to make sure the state, the place remains safe and whatnot. Uh, but something I would like to ask, if you have been listening for a while, is that your input is not only incredibly valuable for people who are just now entering the group. It's also helpful for your own recovery journey. Ooh, the, be yeah. the best way to reinforce things that you've already learned is to share them with others. Yep. And it's going to help us too. <laughs> selfishly, <laughs> selfishly, it's going to help us too because there's so many people that are coming in there. And a lot of people from TikTok do not listen to the podcast, which we are working on. Because mm -hmm. um, I think that most of our solutions come from here, not from two-minute videos, three-minute videos. Yeah. But any of you wheelies who have the time any given day to to dump some wisdom on somebody or to reference an episode cannot tell you how much we'd appreciate yes, that. We so appreciate it. I've seen some people doing it. I'm just like, Oh, thank you. Yes, thank you so thank much. You. Yes, That's so awesome. Grateful. Uh, quick personal story about how in recovery you can like, this is proof that you can learn to <laughs> adult. Truly adult. Oh, that's a good way to put it, dear. We, we were out to dinner on, I think, Saturday it, night. Yes. And headed back home. We have a message like in our Facebook messages, which we don't check a lot, from a neighbor. The neighbor says, hey, did you realize that your mailbox is down? And just for a visual, we have a like a, a brick mailbox that like uh, matches the house. And it's got like our address in there and whatnot. Apparently, someone had gotten a firewood delivery with a big, long trailer. And as this, this is not us, it was our neighbors. And as they were backing up, they hit our mailbox. And that thing came tumbling down, just Destroyed. crashed. Like it, when it hit the ground, you can see it in the ring camera, just dis like disintegrated <laughs> pieces everywhere. So we, we pull back up the house. It's just a mess. It looks like a crime scene. Uh, but not at any point did I ever get pissed off, upset, throw a tantrum, cuss at anybody, Life's not fair. Why is this have to, having to happen to me right now? Because mm -hmm. I'm stressed. I'm really stressed. I know that, Paige, you're also really stressed. But yeah. this is just life stuff, man. And as soon as it happened, we kind of laughed about it. It's yep. like, well, we'll figure it out. Yeah. This morning, I went to Home Depot and bought a new plastic mailbox for the, for the time being anyway. Yeah. HOA would not appreciate a plastic mailbox out there. But I had no, to get something for the mail. But it's better than letting it sit around for weeks yeah and like i had to destroy scoop up all the pieces brick. toss them and yeah but anyway did you enjoy the slam hammering sledgehammer whatever it is yeah i had to sledgehammer it into smaller chunks <laughs> that was fun it's, when is it not fun to smash things i was with gonna a say like hammer? you can like really so much anger i wish i would have gone out there and done it but you know what would have happened is something would have gotten in my eyeball and then I would. that's been, why i had safety glasses well, I, don't, I was wearing glasses too but still I'm not a big safety glasses person, but I don't play whenever I'm smashing stuff because I've had that happen before. Same thing with weed eating. I got some 
some kind of gunk in my eye one time weed eating and it turned into an infection. Oh, so I remember that. It was horrible. So I don't mess around with, yeah, anytime there's stuff flying, I'm going to have glasses on. Well, luckily we have. My shop teacher taught me well in sixth grade. We have awesome neighbors too who are going to, who helped us with the whole situation too. So oh, they're great, nice. man. They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But we did not lose our shit. And I think that that is amazing growth for, you know, you especially. Take it back. I don't know, maybe even in early oh, recovery. Yeah. I was, lost my mind. Even like five years ago. Damn it, I have to deal with this now. I can't believe this crap. One more thing for me. It's like the you know. bird didn't shit on you, dear. It just shit. Yeah, that's the that's the gist of well, it. Well, I'm all. proud of you because you know, that kind of stuff sometimes would be a trigger. That's for a trigger me for you for sure. Because I know that when things like that would happen in the in in the past, you would lose your shit and then it would be come my problem because I'm the one having to deal with it. And I would take on your emotions and it's like, this really sucks. Everyone's walking on eggshells around the house. Yeah. No, man. And I think the greatest part about it is that, um, the kids were present to see this and they didn't see me freaking out. They didn't see you freaking out. They understand that things happen in life. And this is how you deal with them. You don't deal with them by freaking out. Right. Kind of like when the Rangers lost the World Series in 2011 and you threw a remote <laughs> control through our television. Smooth through the front of the yes. TV. You just recently got a picture of that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I think we should post this picture up so that we can show everybody how Matt really was in active addiction. Yeah, don't be fooled by what you see today and what you hear today. I used to be a mess. Like, real deal. I was a freaking drug addict. Crazy, unruly person. Yeah. I'm we're from North Texas and grew up Texas Rangers fans. I'm also a Boston Red Sox fans, but that, that's only because the New York Yankees used, used to come to town and beat up on my poor Texas Rangers when I was a kid in the nineties. So the best way to hate the Yankees is to love the Red Sox. Yeah. I don't really hate the Yankees. I have family that played for them, but anyway, I just, you know, whatever, <laughs> but the Rangers finally won the world series, which was amazing. It's a great thing but they came really close in 2011 they were two strikes or one strike away two different times and couldn't get it done ended up losing that game and then going on to lose the entire series and we had a you you guys might even still have these but these the old big screen tvs that were like big old big screen they were huge they used to stick out from the wall like several feet and they were really tall and they were bulky and whatnot but they had a it was original flat screen though right wasn't it flat, but not yeah, like, like flat, flat, flat on the wall? Right. But the screen was flat, but it yeah. was still bulky as hell. And th- if anyone remembers those from like the 90s, early 2000s, those screens, like you could, they weren't like a screen. It was mm-hmm. almost just like a piece of plastic. Yeah. And so I was watching the game and they lost and I had the remote in my hand and I stood up and threw that thing 80 miles an hour, smooth through the TV. It's like, we need a new TV anyway. Some stupid justification <laughs> surely came out of my mouth. Probably that. Uh, and then I, with a, with a silver, like Sharpie, I wrote thanks Rangers or something like that on it. Like I blamed the baseball team for my bad behavior. Oh. That's just me in a nutshell, man. Like for a long, so very you've long come time. A long way. And I'm really proud of you. And I'm glad we shared that story. <laughs> just know that it can get better if you do the work. <laughs> it can actually get better if you do the work. Okay. So we do have a topic today. We do. Yeah. So we covered, so this is a series we covered in our last episode how to communicate with someone in active addiction. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't heard that one, go back and listen to it or this one won't make a hell of a lot of sense. Um, But the gist of that is that it's extremely tricky. You're going to have to walk on eggshells. You have to totally learn how to communicate differently. It's very tough. what you've been raised to do. So communication in early recovery, what what we consider early recovery, what I consider an early recovery anyway. What was that? (laughs) I don't know what that was. 
uh, the first year That's of sobriety. Hilarious. Within the first year of sobriety is what we consider early recovery. So from the time that they their sober date up until that first full year. And while it is better than active addiction, mm. it's not that mm. it doesn't come with its own challenges. Okay, go ahead. What? It's, is, is it better than active addiction? Hmm. It's almost more difficult than active addiction. Yeah, I think. I it's, think I, I. That's it's, it's it's better on certain levels, but it is more difficult to navigate. That's because fair. it's unfamiliar territory. Yeah, so so many things come up in that first year. Man, it is tough. So <laughs> let's preface all of this, this entire conversation, by preface. saying like everything that we're going to be talking about here. If you have a loved one that is actually doing the deal, they're actually doing the work, then this is applicable. And I would say that it's worth it's worth the trouble. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yes. If they are definitely doing the work, it's worth the trouble. Y'all, I'm telling you, like, I know you want your, your relationships to work out, but this first year is going to really make you question. It's a test. Do I really want to be doing this? Because this, yeah. this is almost just as bad, if not worse. Like, it, a whole new set of challenges. I think that oftentimes spouses, partners of alcoholics and addicts get a lot of hope when someone checks into treatment. They're like, oh my God, or they went to a, their first meeting or something like that. And they're beyond hopeful. But we also covered the stats on this. And the stats say that and they're all over the place, right? Treatment centers have their own set of stats and ways they measure it. But uh, my experience, my belief is somewhere between 5 and 10% of people achieve one year of sobriety. That's, that's it. It's a really small number of people. So while it's It's reality though, hope is a beautiful thing. And we are evidence of this, this can work out, but I'm telling you, um, the, I think the, the biggest reason that we're still together today is because I did the work. Oh yeah. And the other piece of it, which is not any small feat by any means is that you had the patience understanding and you had the tenacity to stick with this. But it's, you're going to find out if you really want this to work or not, because you're about to be challenged more than you've ever been challenged before. Mm -hmm. This first year is so freaking difficult. Kind of back to how I started in this little tangent is that oftentimes spouses and partners get really optimistic when someone goes to treatment. And then as they come out, I think that the natural, the natural thought process is that I've got them back. Everything's fixed. We're all good. I know, I know there's going to be some changes, but we're good now. We can start talking. We can start living life again. We can start, you know, we can pick up where we left off before the same derailed us. Communicate normally. Communicate normally. Yeah. But that's so far from the truth. Mm -hmm. That's not the way it works at all. It's really, really difficult. It's best I can describe it. It's almost like you get to, you're going to get to, the person that comes home is not the same person that left. And it's not going to be the same person that you met either. That right there. Yeah. It's going to be an entirely new person with a new brain, new habits, new triggers, new ways of communicating, feeling, you name it. It's a new person. Yeah. So in some ways it's like, Oh God, like, okay, this is a completely new person. Do I really like this person at all? Like, do I want to make it work with this person? The, the old person does come back over time, but that first year will make you question like, did they brainwash him in there? Like, I can't, I can't even tell who this is. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely wild. And we were sitting here recounting our first year mm-hmm. and it's really tough to do because it's been a while, first of all, and it's really hard to go back and remember what the texture of your mind felt like at that period of time. Mm-hmm. 
but we also had a, a nine month old. And I think it, for anyone with kids, you remember that first year of your kid's life and it's almost a blur anyway. Right. So add this layer on to it. And it's really hard to remember like what, how were we communicating? Were we communicating? And it was, give me like, I, I know you hate being put on the spot, but what are some of the things that you remember about that first year with me at home? Um, I remember, I, I have to be honest, I blocked out a lot of that time. And I think I've said that before on the episodes, like I've blocked out a lot of the time. Um, but I think that I was just either in shock or I was very grateful that you were sober and you were working on yourself. So I gave you the space that you needed. And whenever we would communicate, it was, I didn't feel like I had to tiptoe around you or anything because you were working really hard on what you needed to do. And I was just grateful you were pushing yourself to do that. So I don't really remember what communicating was like. I remember it being easier for sure. I can remember having some productive conversations and arguments, but I also remember there being a lot of old behavior at that time in my life as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like you, okay, here's, I would listen to you. You would come home and you would tell me like what was going on in your meetings or how you were processing things. So I was always there for you and validating you and saying, that's awesome. That's cool. I was actually interested in what you were learning and what you were going through, but it wasn't reciprocated. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way of putting it. too. So you were still, you know, a kind of selfish in it, but I was always willing to listen and kind of selfish. Okay. You were very selfish. You were just as selfish as yeah. you were in recovery or early recovery as you were in addiction Yep. because it just spun around. It was still about you, but I was still interested in what you were going through, you know, yeah, and we, I was validating you. Depth. We did. And I was like, this is actually interesting. This is great. You know, I'm going to learn something from this. I'll be by your side. I'm going to support you. I didn't know that what had happened in active addiction had affected me yet. Nor did I. Neither one of us knew that. Now, a lot of wheelies and people who listen, it's different for them. They know the damage that they've been dealt with. But in our experience, we didn't know yet. We didn't know. And there's a few things that, that play into that. One being what she mentioned was that you, when you're sort of preoccupied with a new family, mm -hmm. You don't think a whole lot about yourself anyway. You're just like, you're literally distractions. Just, yeah. There's so many distractions and you're like, you're just like doing everything you can to get by every day. Yeah. Survival mode. Yeah. You're literally in survival mode. And so you can't focus on yourself to bring up anything that happened. Another factor I think is that we were also younger. We were, uh, 26, 26, 26, 27. Yes. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I checked into treatment the day before Your my 27th birthday. birthday. Yeah. So we were like 26, 27 years old. Mm -hmm. And at that stage in life, I don't think that you're, and I could be wrong here, but I don't think that you're really cognizant of healthy communication in a marriage and a lot of the mental health struggles that people have. You're sort of a new adult in a lot of ways, you know? Yes. So we just, we weren't, we weren't versed on this stuff. We really didn't know how it would affect us. I remember absolutely being selfish. I remember being selfish in my recovery with, in my time and it was all about the recovery, the recovery, the recovery. It mm -hmm. was, you were not, your, your journey was not discussed yet. No. And it was, it was never really brought up to me that it was something that had to be discussed. And it's not an excuse by any means. Like part of what we do here is, is exactly what we're about to discuss, which is let's highlight that period of time. And can we speed that up? Right. And we, we will, we can, yes. um, we plan to with courses and workshops and seminars and things like that to speed this period of time up. Because when I was in treatment, all they told me really was that, listen, you've got this problem. 
Here's how you're going to fix it. You need to go to an IOP program, 90 meetings in 90 days. You're going to have to get obsessed with your recovery. And I did everything they told me to do. It's the only time in my life I've ever done anything as prescribed ever. It's so wild. And I, we've, we've said this for so long, like how you went balls to the wall and you actually followed the rules and everything. And I'm like, sir. <laughs> yeah, that is not me. <laughs> you do not follow rules ever. You question them. But with, with sobriety, it was completely different. It was dead serious, man. I was going to die and I knew it. Like, yeah. it wasn't, I was, I was going to lose my life. I wouldn't see 30 if I didn't change something. So I got all in, got really obsessed and I remember being incredibly selfish just in general, like look back on that time of my life. And I, I like, I don't know. Um, I mentioned the word texture earlier, like the texture of your mind at any given point in your life. I kind of have like these gut feelings that I can remember at certain points in my life. Mm-hmm. And when I think back on that period of time, I remember like I, I get this anxious feeling because I'm not proud of the way I acted in that first year or the first couple of years, the first three years even. Yeah. Because it was extremely selfish. Like yeah. you were not necessarily involved. I was, my thinking was, and this is thinking I think many people have is that I'm going to get better. And in turn, the relationship will get better. And that's true to some degree, you Mm -hmm. know, but there was a lot of stuff that had happened that was going to have effects later down the line that we weren't even aware of. And if it was mentioned to me, I'm not even sure if I heard it. Like I didn't know what that looked like, what that even meant. Like there wasn't a couple like me and you coming into a treatment center and talking about that. Right. Right. There was one or two days that we got to spend together to talk about some of the trauma that existed. And that was it. That was it. Yeah. They rarely discussed like what we, what I would be going through or what could come out for me. No, it, was it wasn't not, discussed. It, no, had no idea. No. So the relationship strained badly. Um, I remember communicating a ton about the recovery and that was one positive I can take from it is that mm-hmm. we talked a lot about the recovery. And with that, we talked about, a model for living a new life. And I talked about my challenges and like what was I was going through, but it was still all about me. But in that we did have a lot of open conversation about just life in general and like stuff that you're going through, but it was very one-sided. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I find that to be the case a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I'm like, as we sort of get into this episode and what it's really about in communication is that this is typical. What I've just described here is pretty typical. Um, and in some ways I know that you hate when I say this, but in some ways necessary. Yes. doesn't have to be as one-sided as I had it, but there does have to be a focus on the recovery. Absolutely. Like it's like we said in the beginning, like you're going to find out pretty soon. Like if you really want to walk this path, like this is, this is the time where it's like, oh my God, I knew they said it'd be hard, but I didn't know they said it, it was going to be this freaking hard Yes, because you're going to be dealing with a brand new person. And so if I could have gone back, to redo it, yeah. I would have spent that first year focusing on me. That would have been a good plan for sure. You know, like I, but then again, I wasn't, I didn't know that was a thing. We had a baby and stuff, but that's, that, that would be a good idea for people who are in it now. If you are able to, you know, do things for you, but still come together. That's, that's recovering separately, but together. I wish I could go back in time and find myself and grab me by the shoulders and shake me and say, get to couples counseling as fast as you can. Yes. A quick break in the action to let you know about an exciting development in the Tufo universe. When we started this thing, we said we would never work with an advertiser or company unless it's something that we believed in and we already use. 
If you're looking for professional, affordable mental health care, look no further than Taylor Counseling Group, your trusted source for accessible therapy in Texas. Taylor Counseling Group believes that everyone deserves premium mental health care, regardless of their income level. That's why they offer reliable and affordable services at 12 locations across Texas. They've made affordability a priority. They are in network with most major insurance and the standard private rate is only $100 per session, significantly lower than many other practices offering the same high quality therapy. They believe that getting the help you need shouldn't drain your wallet. Scheduling an appointment is quick and easy with their convenient online booking tool. No complicated processes or long wait times. They value your time and ensure that you can access the care you deserve without any hassle. At Taylor Counseling Group, they believe in a personalized approach to therapy. The professionally trained counselors offer a diverse range of services, including individual counseling, couples counseling, family therapy, play therapy for children, and even specialized techniques like cognitive processing and existential psychotherapy. They're here to help you navigate life's challenges and develop a personalized treatment plan tailored to your unique goals. Taylor Counseling Group is your partner on the path to mental wellness. Experience professional, affordable care that puts you first. Visit their website, taylorcounselinggroup.com, or call them today to schedule an appointment and tell them Tufo Couple sent you. A link and phone number is going to be available in the show notes. And back to the action. Get there as fast as you can and be willing and open and listen and just shut up and listen. That right there. Yeah. Because I don't even think I would have been willing at that time because I would have been convinced we're good. Yeah. Like, we're fine. Yeah. Like, I'm like, fixing hey, this stuff. I'm I, fixing yeah, it. It's yeah. good. We're good. Like we're fine. Like I asked her. She's cool. <laughs> she said it was fine. We're fine. You know, <laughs> like I think that couples counseling and we'll get into that later in the episode, but extremely important. Mm-hmm. But anyway, when you, when, when they get out, the relationship's going to be very strained. And so we're talking about the first full year, but let's focus in just for a moment on that first 90 days, Yes. getting out of treatment, everyone's hopeful, everyone feels good. And what do we usually hear from people? Like when in, in the community, an anonymous post comes in and it's like, Hey, he just got out of treatment. When can I bring up my feelings I, before that? What? There's a zombie living in my house. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. There's a zombie living in my house. Yeah. But at the end of the post, it's generally, when do I get to discuss the stuff that's happened to me with <laughs> the zombie? That's the question that I see more yeah. than anything. It's like, when can I bring this up? <laughs> How do you but talk to, about the zombie? <laughs> How do you talk <laughs> to a zombie, zombie about some of your deepest, darkest hurts? Yeah. It's really tough. Yeah. What's that movie? Uh, cold, cold hands or something. What is it called? Warm bodies. Warm bodies. <laughs> <laughs> Way off. Not really. Yeah. Talking to a zombie, man. It's it just like doesn't go hands. well. It doesn't movie? go well. But anyway. That's usually what you get out of treatment is a zombie. Someone who's going to kind of sit around the house lethargic, um, not doing a whole hell of a no lot. No excitement, no sadness, no, or, or it's, there is sadness, but there's like nothing. There's just no feelings or emotions. Best way I could describe this is, um, pretend for a moment that you are like coming out of a coma with no knowledge of anything at all about how you got into a coma. Feel kind of stunned. You come out and you're like, where am I? What am I? Who, are, who is this are, weird woman walking around my house? What are these things that are feeling? How do I, what are these feelings I'm having? It's so awkward. What like are these everything, thoughts? Everything is awkward. And I mean that in the sense that it's awkward because you don't know what to do with it. You don't yeah. know what to do with boredom. Like that's maybe the toughest one. Like, yeah. How do you be bored? Right. Don't know how to be bored. I don't know how to deal with sadness. I don't know how to deal with anxiety. I don't know how to deal with reality. Don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to deal with someone knocking over my mailbox. I don't know mm-hmm. how to deal with any of these things. It's just, it's so much all at once. Yeah. Like I did, I have described it like this when I go to treatment centers and talk, do you remember, uh, cars back in the nineties and eighties, even before that new cars don't do this is why I'm saying older cars. 
I used to pull this trick on my uncle all the time. Uncle Mike had a bunch of cool old cars and I remember one time him and my aunt were going to go see Sleepless in Seattle. Oh my gosh, that was a long time ago. We were over at their house that day and they were getting ready for their date night. My parents were coming to get us. And I was a little perturbed that Uncle Mike didn't want to hang out with me. So I got in, I crawled in his, he had like one of those like uh, like old Wagoneer Woodies. Yeah. I crawled in and I cranked up the volume on the stereo. Oh, I remember this So story. that whenever he got in the car that evening to enjoy his, you know, wonderful evening, he was going to be blasted. You know, with his talk radio, or whatever he was listening to, and it's just like the stunned feeling, like, "Oh my God, what was that?" Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like when you get out of treatment. Yes, yeah, so your nerves are raw. Nerves are raw. So, basic communication is—it's tricky. Um, anything beyond like the gentle environment of what you experience in treatment is tough. It's really tough. Mm-hmm. So, I know that you want to have these really big conversations. <sighs> But you're talking to a zombie. It's not going to get very far. If even you get anywhere at all, it's not going to get far. Right. It's probably going to go south, I would imagine. Those first 90 days, man, like buckle up, strap in because you got about a year of dealing with a selfish person who is learning how not to be, who's learning how to be a human, how to adult, how to process emotions, how to communicate normally, how to function again. It's Kind of like a toddler. For about the first year. For about the first year. So communication does happen, but it's little by slow. And you sort of have to gauge their capacity for communicating based on the what they do give you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really tough. Yeah. And this is none of this is fair. Let me just say that. Right. It's not fair. Right, right. Like this Thank is not you. right. It's not Thank fair. You. It I, sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. Like a, please, like understand. I'm not sitting here. Trying to make a this case for why you should be okay with this. This is, this, this is just reality. Facts. This is what I've seen. Yep. Working with other people. This is what we experience. This is the deal. This yeah. is what happens. This mm-hmm. is just, we're preparing you for that. For a really slow comeback where this person is like barely staying awake, hardly speaking, just going through the motions of life. And it's like, man, this is tough. But it's going to be even worse if they're not working some kind of program. If oh, they're yeah. not in therapy, yeah. if they're not going to... Some sort of meeting, doesn't matter what it is. I'm not saying you have to go to AA meetings. There are so many ways to recover that we've covered in other episodes, but support groups do something like, even if it's, I don't know, some people say they do it on their own and I, okay. I know some people stop on their own, but anytime I hear it, I am so skeptical. I'm like, "Mm, so you're the genius that's going to figure this out. Yeah. No, probably not going to. I still don't understand why there's nothing wrong with like getting help, getting help, personal development just to become a better person. That just blows my mind. It's another thing is that they're not going to communicate when they need help. Yeah. They're not going to communicate that they're struggling. Mm -hmm. So what often happens is that they'll just get super quiet and relapse. Mm -hmm. If they are asking for help, that's a great sign. If they're talking to you about, their struggles. That's a great sign. Yes. And validate them with that and say like, I know that's hard. Yeah. It's really tough. Yeah. (laughs) So why is this all happening? We've talked about some of the neurological stuff that goes on in active addiction happening inside the brain. Uh, Just know that there, there's a lot of stuff. Okay. So there's a neurotransmitter imbalance. All the, all the synapses that fire uh, have been trained to basically disregard any kind of stimulus because you've been high for so long. You've been drunk for so long. You haven't processed anything. So mm-hmm. if you don't use it, you sort of lose it within the mind. The mind will find its own way to deal with life in active addiction. Right. And it is different than when you're sober. Yeah. So in many, many ways, like you really are getting a new person. And that adjustment period does cause mood swings, anxiety, depression, 
all kinds of other emotional imbalances with as, as you sort of feel what it's like to express yourself clearly. Yes. Like just communicating normally is really tough. Right. Also cognitive impairment. We talked about why addiction is considered a disease is because it affects certain parts of the brain. Like let's just say the prefrontal cortex responsible mm-hmm. for a lot of the behaviors that we have every day. It's like the CEO of the brain, but prolonged substance abuse affects these things negatively. Uh, we talk about how in some brain scans, there's actually less gray matter than someone started with, mm-hmm. but that can be rebuilt. Yeah. It can be rebuilt, but there early on that stuff hasn't had a chance to do that yet. Right. So some of the most basic cognitive functions like memory, attention, things like that, that's part of it too. Like mm-hmm. They're going to be sitting there sort of like a zombie once again. Um, what, what eventually happens though is that you have these, you have the miracle of neuroplasticity as the brain learns to, to you like that word i just love it i think i love the whole concept everything it's amazing so the the brain has a way of rewiring itself but you have to put it in a position and give it a chance to do that mm-hmm. and that requires being sober being free from your substance and experiencing all the things that you normally experience like sadness like stress like happiness like a difficult conversation with your spouse like all these things are new and your brain every time it happens it forms a new pathway forms a new pathway Mm -hmm. just a little by slow process so this is what's happening inside this the mind of the zombie that's on the couch doing nothing right now right and we live in a society where we want instant gratification or and it's not going to work man that is true like there's something you said about that it's like okay you're better now let's go let's go we got stuff to do right we got dreams to live no this life will teach you all about patience yeah damn right it will (laughs) and how life is not fair yeah it's not man um emotional regulation is also going to be way out of whack um you're going to experience these huge emotional swings like these incredibly high highs and these super low lows yes it's all over the place and it it makes it really tough to express what you're feeling because for me anyway it was like i haven't felt this way since i was like a 12, 13 year old kid. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what to call this, man. And now it's bigger than ever. The problems have more gravity. And like I stand, I have more to risk now. It's just, it's so much. Right. I, Very even, overwhelming. I, I couldn't even give you an expression of what this feels like right now. Right. It's so difficult. Mm-hmm. So freaking difficult. The stress responses in the body have, in the brain have also been completely derailed here. Um, so you're going to struggle majorly with stress and lacking effective coping mechanisms. Yeah. Um, delayed processing and reactivity. So people in early recovery are going to experience delays in information processing. Like truly you will be slower than you used to be. Yeah. Just slower. Like, right. I remember that. Like I I would have to, if I was trying to read, Uh I would have to read a paragraph like five times. I I, I know that now. Well, I know I have ADHD, (laughs) but this was like next level. Like this is not me. This is like, is something wrong with me? Like it scared me at one point. I'm like, I think something's actually wrong with me. I don't know what I remember that actually when you were going through stuff. like Oh man. Like you were like, what the hell's going on? This is really weird because you were always pretty like pretty sharp. Sharp. Yes. That's what, you know, five Adderall a day will do to you. (laughs) Make you sharp. Damn stuff. Oh man, I was on all kinds of stuff. So yeah, and depending on what you're coming off of, it'll it'll affect you differently. But so let's set the stage for that's what you're dealing with right now. So when people come to us and say, "How do I have the heaviest conversation we've ever had um, a week after sobriety?" I just just rethink that for a moment because we just told you like, even if you were able to articulate how you felt, it wouldn't land. Nope. In a way that made it stick, it wouldn't land in a way that made this meaningful moving forward. Mm-hmm. 
more than likely what's going to happen is they're going to get really upset and triggered and get mad. Yeah. That's what's likely to happen. Right. Do you remember any big fights that we had early on? Or did you block them all out? I don't, <laughs> I can't bring it up. You can't bring it up? <laughs> you know, it. W- I don't know if it was really a fight, but it was like, what the hell? Why did you do that? Um, this is when I answered the phone that one time. No, but what are you talking about? Nothing. What are you talking about? No, this had to do with MJ. MJ? Yeah, he was not even born yet. I did something? Yes. I don't remember. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't, I'm just going to let it go then. Okay. So if we did have any big fights, I, I can imagine they didn't go well. I remember having to call my sponsor or call someone in the program and just basically vent and get a rational perspective of why I just acted the way I acted, like Mm -hmm. knowing full and well, that's not the way I should have acted, but I didn't and almost couldn't even help it. I just didn't have the tools. I didn't have the tools yet. What phone call are you talking about? Oh my gosh. We can talk about this off mic sometime. <laughs> Not important. See, both of us. Now we're like, we can't, okay, we're authentic, but there's some things we can't talk I think, about. I think what I'm talking about happened during active addiction. So it wasn't even during this time period. Oh, okay. It was completely unrelated. Okay. Well, what I was talking about, I don't think we had like a big fight, but it was still like, mm. Did I handle it well? Sure. No, that's a big no. <laughs> Definitely didn't. <laughs> Here's what sucks about all this. And again, we we've discussed it is that you are going to get the short end of the stick again. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about what it's like sticking with somebody, trusting that it's going to get better, but not really knowing if it is. Ooh. Was there a, just an aspect of faith for you? In yes, that? there was. Was there it, was. was there anything I was doing to help reassure you? Just working your program, like actually working, actually working your program, actually asking for help at, you know, with your sponsor, actually doing work, talking to me about your recovery. That was something that was giving me proof that you were doing something different. And I think that's what gave me faith. Okay. What if I wasn't doing the work? Nope. Nope. What? (laughs) I don't, I, I don't think that I stuck around to see what that was like. I don't think I would have faith because I feel like your behaviors would still be the same. Like a lot of your behaviors were still the same, like not a lot, but some of them were still the same. Like there were, there's many years that went by then that your behaviors were still the same, right? It was like a layer, you know, layers coming off in layers. Um, but there was stuff in early recovery where I just knew that you were willing to push forward. Like you had this sparkle in your eye and you were just willing to do whatever it took to stay sober. And I knew that about you. I knew that it was just something, it was just faith. But if you weren't doing something, I don't know. I don't know if you'd have that light. What she's just described is something I would like for anyone listening to keep in mind. I I am not like the king of recovery by any means. There have been many others before me. There will be many after me that have done it much better. will do it much better. But I think something that all of us have in common, if you've gotten to this point, is that you are truly obsessed with your recovery. Mm-hmm. You're obsessed with experiencing life sober. You are committed to experiencing life sober. If you have your doubts, they're there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like when people are like, I'm not really sure if this is the way it works. It's, it's nine times I'd say when I read those stories, it's someone who's not even interested in recovery. Yeah. The spouse wants it way more than the, the person who's recovering does. You know what else I think helped is that you were 
they don't, they tell people not to make big decisions in the first year of recovery, but yeah. Matt was total opposite of that. I ran that through everybody. And Hang I, on. But hold on. <laughs> I think that that's when I knew that you were serious because whenever you were in active addiction towards the end, we were trying to build, buy, buy a house. Like I wanted, I had a realtor set up to go buy a house. And then the next day you said, I got to go to, you know, recover. Or I got to go to treatment. And I'm like, I knew it wasn't going to happen <laughs> anyway because you weren't, you were spending so much money, but I was still going to try and push forward. Yeah. Um, but when you got back a couple months later, you're like, all right, let's go see if we can buy a house. Let's get out of here. Let's go do something. And you were serious and you actually followed through. That was huge. And then you got me pregnant with our kid, which was another thing. And you're like, okay, you know, to me, you were serious about wanting to restart our life and keep going. And I think that that gave me faith or, you know, helped with the whole trust process. Yeah. I've worked with a lot of people in recovery and I have been surprised a few times by someone like after our first meeting, I'll generally be like, man, this guy doesn't stand a chance. And then that dude will go and I know one of them has got like eight years now. Yeah. And I, he surprised me, but um, people can get really enthusiastic early on and you think everyone's going to make it. But when the rubber meets the road, they revert back to their old behaviors. They don't pick up the phone and call someone. They don't ask for support. They just revert. Yeah. Because in our minds, we're all geniuses of our own lives. We know what's best. Yeah. Well, the insanity of that thinking is that my best thinking got me into the worst mess I've ever been in. Mm -hmm. And somehow I think that my judgment's going to get me out. Like, yeah. I'm going to have to take a different perspective. I was good about doing that because I was told to do that. If they told me to do it, I did it. Yeah. I mean, I was concerned though at first because they did want you to stay longer. The treatment center did. Yeah, the counselors did, and I, I want, I wanted you to stay longer because I felt like you definitely needed to dig more into other shit. You know, I thought it was going to be really important for you, so that was scary for me when you came out. I was like, oh, they wanted him to stay, and he's choosing not to stay. Like, how is this going to work out? What she means? So I did thirty days, and they recommended yeah. that I go spend like another forty-five days at yeah, a different treatment in a different center, treatment center. In a different state. Mm -hmm. They so, wanted to dig deeper into some stuff. I had an advocate on that deal, so my. My counselor at the time was an advocate for me. She was like, I think that, I think he's going to be okay. She did? Yeah. She did absolutely advocate for me on that deal. She felt good about it. I mean, it worked. As, as long it worked as I, out, went, obviously. So I went to IOP and everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was excited to get out. I was really excited. I was excited to start the work. You were excited to do real world shit. Like you were excited yep. to get out into the real world to actually practice what they taught you. I think a lot of people are scared to do that. And I think that's a red flag too. Yeah. You know, if they're, if they're coming out of treatment and they're like really white knuckling and scared to do things that can be a, a sign that they're not ready to really push forward into it. Yeah. Right. I mean, do you know what I, what I'm saying? Uh, absolutely. Like, do, you, do you agree with that? Yes, I do. Because I really do feel like when you jumped in, you were like, I'm going to fucking do this. We have to be willing to go to any length, mm -hmm. underline any, mm -hmm. any length, right? whatever it takes. Right. And I was there for you just patient. I was extremely patient. You were beyond patient. Yeah. And I think that's when we're talking about communication, I think that that message, unfortunately, is the one that needs to be heard the most. I agree. I agree. And it's frustrating though, because I do understand why you want to bring up your hurt. And I understand you want your partner to be held accountable and validate you and validate you. Um, but validation does go both sides and in both ways. And you've got to validate your partner right now too, because they're struggling really, really hard. Yeah. Um, something I see a lot of the time and I understand why this happens is that you've, you've abused someone for years and years and years in active addiction. You get out, 
you see the error of your ways, you try to make things right, you do your best, you, you're, go, you're undergoing massive changes and you get no little to no credit for doing it. Like, no, hey, good job. Um, that was great. Like, uh, you handled that differently. I'm proud of you. A lot of times it's just a very resentful person and understandably so. Mm-hmm. And this is what sucks about it. It's almost like you have to trust that they're doing the work that it's going to get better. And it will if they're doing the work. Mm-hmm. And then go that extra step to say, I can set aside some of these larger things for whenever it's going to really mean something to them. Yeah. In the meantime, you just have to support each other in some of the smaller ways. Right. Like I hope that they're coming home and finding out, okay, well, how can I help around the house? Take care of some kids, change a diaper, maybe clean the home every once in a while, find out how your day was, start to communicate again, start to go on date nights again, yeah. understand what your new relationship will look like in sobriety. And you can communicate about those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. If you do feel like there's an issue that you have that cannot wait. If it's something massive, let's say there was infidelity. Let's say that there was physical abuse. Let's say that there was something. Let's say that this is a chronic relapser. It's a, it's a really good idea to get with somebody. I would suggest uh, a licensed therapist mm-hmm. in couples counseling and yep. sit down and talk about what a relapse prevention plan looks like or boundaries around the relapse. Mm-hmm. If this occurs, Here's what I will do. And I just want to get it out of the way now when we're all clear headed so that when a time comes, you'll understand that I'm doing this even against my will. I don't want to have to leave, but I have to. Mm-hmm. You can also talk about some of the larger things. I think with a therapist, a really good therapist who specializes in trauma and or addiction is going to understand the best way to gently talk about some of this stuff. Yes. It's right. it's tough though, because I've, I know... I know some great ones, but I've heard about some terrible ones as well. Yes. And it's no knock on therapists. It's no, just, that's it's, just, it's a very niche, like, I guess, segment of people that need help. It's mm-hmm. people who are, are addicted. They also have marital issues and they're trying to, you know. And there's trauma involved. There and there's too. trauma and, the, and they're, they're trying to fix things and they're still in early sobriety. That's a really tricky time. It's almost like you need someone who's been there before right. to we, help you with that. Right. Because we need to be validated as well absolutely you know? just and to some degree even if you don't really understand the depth of it mm-hmm. you have to acknowledge it yeah you have to acknowledge it within that first year if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing you and let's let's say that you are working something like the 12 steps you do get a ninth step in there but even then like my ninth step didn't hold nearly mm-hmm. what it should have no looking back i've had to do that step several times right right several times yeah just saying i'm sober is enough is not true no not at all but it sucks so Communication is going to be somewhat one-sided where you've got one person talking about the recovery and you will be congratulating them on the recovery. Mm -hmm. You will get some wins when they are more present in the relationship. They will take more of an interest in other things outside of just themselves slowly early on, like really early on 90 days. Not so much. Three months is tough. Six months. Things get a little bit better that nine month to a year mark is when you really start to see who this person can become if they keep working this path. Right, right. I remember like within the first year, like right around that year, I felt like, okay, I'm I, I'm like an adult. Like I can stand and look people in the eye. I can talk to you. I can listen to you just, you know, talking about having a bad day and know that it's, I'm not the cause of it necessarily. We're having an actual conversation. Mm-hmm. But a year. So hang on for dear life for a year if they're doing the work. Right. Is sort of our suggestion on that, I think. Yeah. Until, you know, we can get through to people who are in recovery to let them know, like, now you got to validate stuff now, too, if it can be quicker, but it's not. Yeah. Like it doesn't get addressed. Our, our dream ultimately is to get 
people in early recovery as couples to show up and see us mm-hmm. is a big group, all the wheelies and their spouses. Mm-hmm. And we can have a conversation about this. Yes. I think I have, I can communicate to people in early recovery in a way that they would understand that this isn't like demeaning to me as a person. This right. is just stuff that's happened. Right. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get to that point. Uh, I hate even saying it because people are like, well, why don't you just go ahead and do that? Mm-hmm. I would love that right now. Yeah. All things yeah. come in. All, all good things come to those who wait. We will right. get there. I promise you we'll get there. But in the meantime, just hang on. I promise you if they're doing the work, it does get better. You can have gentle conversations. Um, we can we can kind of cover a few of these. You you talked about empathy and validation, mm-hmm. understanding that overcoming addiction is one of the hardest things someone will ever have to do. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a uh, zero sum thing though. It doesn't mean that your pain doesn't matter. It right. doesn't mean that you can't still be hurt by these things. And I think it's vitally important that during this period of time that you've got someone to talk to as well. Yeah. If if it's Absolutely. even popping in the community just to share with people yes. who've been through it, mm-hmm. but I think that therapies. So important for someone who can't share what's going on with them because they're they've they've got a zombie living in their house, right? They're just kind of wandering around and groaning and mm-hmm. like you know shuffling around back and forth all day. Yep. So get with the therapist. Start to talk about your pain. We can talk about it with them when they are actually ready to talk about it. When it's mm-hmm. actually going to mean something, that's important, right? Um, having a non-judgmental attitude about it is tough to do, and like I hate even. I hate this part. Like, I know. As I'm sitting here talking about this, I'm like, this is so ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. I was abusive to you, mm-hmm. and you get to you have to be more patient while I'm getting better. Like, God, like. But if we want solutions, these are solutions. So I, right. I like, I had to dig for these guys. <laughs> like, I don't want to have to sit here and tell anyone that you have to be more patient. It's bullshit, but yeah. it is what it is. Right. If you want it to work, this is what we did and what we found effective. Right. So, yeah. So, like, do you really want this to work or not? Like, some people might be like, I'm just. This is too much. Yeah. And that's fair. That's that's totally understandable. Yeah, totally. But if you're going to have communication with someone who's in early recovery, non-judgmental attitude is really important mm-hmm. because everything to me felt like a freaking direct attack. Yeah. Because my ego was so fragile. Right. I'm such a wimp about things. Like I'm just, I was a mess, just an absolute emotional mess and mental mess. Having empathy and validation. This was for me the biggest of them all. And like, again, I'm embarrassed saying this is that this was a one way street in a lot of ways where you validated and you empathize with me so much. And like, I've, I've credited you with keeping me on the path. Like when it was difficult hearing someone just say like, I understand that's tough. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you let me say those things without smacking me across the face and be like, now what about me? (laughs) But you did it. You did it. And we got through it. Um, now I'm saying what about me? Yeah, you're damn right. <laughs> you should for the rest of your life. And for all the wheelies out there, I'm saying it for you. But you gave me tons of encouragement and positive reinforcement as well. I like did. When I would do a good thing, you would let me know how important that was. You would help me recognize how that's a new behavior, how that's huge. Yeah. Every time you would do that, it was like that memory was now glowing in my mind. Like mm-hmm. it was glowing with neon lights and it was like, Vegas. oh my God, I did something good. Like I am changing. I can change. I can do this. You were part of the reason, if not the biggest reason that I was able to see that. Because oftentimes you recognize changes in me before I saw them in myself mm-hmm. and you would say something and then all of a sudden I would get like butterflies in my stomach. I'd be like, oh my God, like, yeah, I'm, it, we're doing it. It's happening. <laughs> I'm doing it. Yeah. That was huge. That was really big. And I think that's really important to do. Um, this is a tough one. God, I hate saying this one as well. Uh, respecting the boundaries around the recovery program. Like 
I think that it's really great to have a group like the two folk community to come in and say, ain't it some BS that he gets to disappear to a meeting? Yes, for an hour but I every think day? that it needs to be mindful as well. And that's what that's those were the biggest problems we had in early recovery. Yeah. Was you you spending so much time elsewhere and not helping. So I did address that. Remember, and you helped me through that. And you would be like, okay, I'm going to kind of shift this around a little bit so that I can be present at home more. Yeah. I started going to meetings during my lunch hour. I would right. sacrifice my lunch so that I could go to a meeting. Right. So respecting boundaries doesn't mean just letting you do whatever you have to do a hundred percent of the time. It means that you can still communicate and say, I need your help here too. I sort of look at it around the boundaries of recovery in general. Um, my personal opinion is that if you still want to drink alcohol, mm-hmm. you should be allowed to drink alcohol. You're a responsible adult who has not lost the priv- privilege to oh, chemical peace me. of mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if so, like, but, nope. but if someone has a boundary around that, like that's difficult for me. I've met more spouses than not that are willing to do that if that's what it takes. Oh, that's fine. And I didn't drink around you for a while. My take on it though it was, I got to figure this out. It's not anyone else's freaking from, problem that I have a problem. You told me from the get-go. You told me from the get-go it was fine. And I think that was another like, okay... Like maybe he is serious, but it's still scary. And I still respected you. But we're all at different stages. If yeah. if that's one of their boundaries, hey, okay. If you want the marriage to work out, that might be something that you have to give on for a bit. Mm-hmm. Hopefully not forever. That'd be ridiculous. But hopefully you know, they can come, <laughs> come to their senses. But around recovery coming first as well, um, maybe time they have to take out for talking to a sponsor in the evenings for a phone call. Yes. There would be times like, like if this is going to work, if the relationship's even going to be possible, if your marriage, if you want your marriage to work, recovery has to come first for your partner, mm-hmm. unfortunately, but yeah. that's the way it works. That's what, that's how it's worked for us. But balance does come in time. Balance comes like we've, we figured out a way to balance this. Mm-hmm. I usually hit one meeting a week now and it's eight thirty in the morning on a Saturday. It's not really affecting anyone. Yeah. I've read though a lot in the groups that there are a lot of people who have not found balance years later. Yes. Man. Well, they need to come send them in one of our videos, send them one of our podcasts, introduce them to me and I will teach them what balance is like and why that's important. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we have to attack this from both ways. Like I kind of have to change the addict stance, validate spouses and you have to let them know it's okay to feel that way. But Mm -hmm. it's tough whenever one half listens and the other doesn't. Yeah. (laughs) How do I get more addicts to listen? They just don't want to. They don't want to hear my crap. Yeah. They don't want to, they don't want want to hear hard truths, man. Yeah. The truth will set you free. Yes. But at first it's going to piss you off. Mm Mm-hmm. I learned that in recovery as well. Um, well, we're throwing truth bombs here too, telling people to be patient the first year and they don't want that. No, they don't. And I, I know y'all don't want to hear that. It's not fair. I agree with you. Yes. I hope that you're slamming the table right now. Like I'm never I'm unfollowing these guys. Screw these two, but stick with this. There's something to this. Yeah. It's coming from people who figured it out. Right. There's exactly. something to this. Um, professional help though, I think is another crucial aspect of communication early on. You're going to have to learn new tools. Both of you will mm-hmm. new tools because your way of communicating over the last, however long they've been addicted is with someone that's no longer in the home. You have to learn how to communicate with this new person, Yep. the old ways and not all of them, but most of them are going to have to be rehashed, reworked, mm-hmm. and you're going to have to figure out how to communicate with each other again. Yeah. Like I'm telling you, like you will, you ever seen pet cemetery? Like that's who's coming home from treatment is the, <laughs> Damn. the after you bury that dude, like, this monster shows up. Like, who is this person? Like, I, there's which, sh- which character are you talking about? The kid? No, not the kid. The mom. I'm thinking of part two, actually. Oh, okay. But anyway, <laughs> people, the person that comes home is gonna. They'll look like your partner. They'll kind of act like them sometimes, but everything else is gonna be way off. Yeah. Way off. Yeah. So much different. Mm-hmm. You 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 kind of lose that old person in some ways for a little bit. 
but eventually I think when I finally came through, I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that who I am today exhibits the best parts of me before addiction. Like yes. I'm still that person before that you fell in love with, but in so many better ways. Yes. Yes. It's still like we've said in a recent episode, I'm like, you're totally different, but you still have some things that, you know, some of your quirks that are still there. Yeah. But yes, you're in deep down the things that I fell in love with. Yeah. A, a win for the spouses here is I think that it's really crucial for you to communicate in a very healthy way, what your boundaries are as well. Mm-hmm. That's fair. You yes. can do that. You can talk about your boundaries. You can talk about some of your feelings around this stuff, but mm-hmm. to have that big blow up, like let's just cut to the chase conversation. Um, I wouldn't suggest doing that within the first 90 days, six months or so. No. If you, if you feel like you have to make sure that you've got some third party, at least yes. sort of guiding that communication, understanding right. like, Hey, when, when she says this, that's what she's really meaning to say mm-hmm. and vice versa. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's almost like, you ever been woken up like uh, by a kid or, or a phone call and then you answer the phone call and someone's telling you about like, I ha- I have this happen at work. So I'm in logistics and I'll get these phone calls in the middle of the night. And it's like, Hey, I just tire blue and I flew off the road. My truck rolled over and I'm listening to this. And I'm like, what, what, what are you saying? Like, I don't yeah. understand. Like, yeah. that's what it's like. Kind yeah. of like you yeah. could be talking to me about all the stuff that you went through, but I will it's like I just woke up. I'm like, huh? Doesn't it sound like the teacher but, from Charlie Brown? Sort of. It's like uh, even if I wanted to engage, like, I, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I hear you. Like, I kind of got that part, but it's just the whole picture doesn't make sense. That's crazy. It sucks. It does it sucks. suck. Intimacy and closeness. Also, there's going to be a lot of problems around this, and I don't just mean physical intimacy. I mean just having intimate conversations. Mm-hmm. It's okay to communicate this stuff in a gentle way. We've had people deal with this uh, in our own community in some of our calls and talk about this and process it, and it does get better. Yeah, keep working on it communicated as gently as possible. You have to sort of baby around this stuff with addicts. It's mm-hmm. like, Hey, listen, I know you're really struggling right now, but you're doing amazing. You're doing an incredible job. You're changing. I'm so proud of you. I just, I feel sometimes like I don't, I don't really know you and I don't really feel the real you. I mm-hmm. want to know what's going on inside your head. You have to say it like that. You can't just say, you don't effing talk to me anymore. <laughs> like you're so annoying now. Like, right. I don't know what's going on with you. I feel like we're getting about, might as well just get divorced. Like, right. That's not going to go well. No. You have to really learn how to communicate this stuff in a healthy, gentle way. Yeah. Just use kid gloves when you do it, man. So for people who are interested in this topic, I hope this was helpful. Yeah. Not everyone is going to be at this point. No. But if, if you've got someone who's really committed to doing the deal and they're really committed to recovery, this will come up and this will be helpful to some people. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's just not going to be a whole lot stats are what they are. Hopefully we can change that one day, but we'll see. Well, then our next episode, we won't get very many listeners. Probably not. <laughs> Cause it's going to be about what communication looks like way down the line on recovery, but it's basically to give you hope and what it's going to be like. If you do stick out, stick it out and have patience throughout the early years of recovery. Yeah. Like recovery brass tacks. What, what really happens here underneath the surface is that people are drawn to us because they see what our relationships become, what we beat, what we were up against and how we figured it out mm-hmm. till the wheels fall off, ride or die. We figured it out. Yeah. And they look at their relationship and be like, well, hell if they did it, why can't we? Yeah. I think that, if you set aside the addicted person, every one of these relationships could work because the spouse is willing to put forth the effort for five people. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, though, relationship takes two people and yeah. the stats of addiction are such that most relationships don't get the chance to do this. Mm-hmm. They just don't. 
the more difficult thing happens, which we cover all the time as well, which is what does happily ever after look like for you if they decide never to get sober? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what would empowerment look like for you? What would true happiness look like for you? What does a a real partner look like for you? Someone that truly appreciates you. How do we access that? How do we find that? How do we make you so proud of who you are that anyone that doesn't want anything to do with you is worse off for it? How do we get that? And we spend a lot of time on that too. Mm -hmm. More so, I think, because we have to. Yes. That's where most people end up, unfortunately. Yeah. Not to say you can't. I hope I don't dash anyone's hopes who's like really getting after this deal. But if you're really committed and you hear some of my story and you're like, oh yeah, he's doing those things. I would be really hopeful about that. Yeah. I would. If you've got someone who came home from treatment and they haven't done anything, yeah, I would be really worried about what your next year looks like. Right. Do you want to relive all that crap again? Yeah. And listen to some more other stuff. Yeah. Find some hope there. Yes. We got you either way is what I'm saying. Yeah. We got your back either way. Right. And after, if let's just say you do make the tough decision to move on without them. Like, man, that's a story that come on the podcast, tell your story. I would love to have those guests. Yep. Because there's so many more people that need to hear that. Yes. Than stick around and abuse for years and years and years. Yeah. It's worth it. Mm. It's not always worth it, Mm-mm. especially if they're not changing. Yeah. You're just sticking in it longer. Right. Sticking in abuse longer. Yep. More opportunities. And it gets worse and yeah. worse. It gets progressive. It gets worse over time. Right. So anyway, that's what we got. Can you talk about your tattoos? These aren't real tattoos. But if, people who are watching on YouTube, they're going to see them. I've had my hand in I would, all the time. I, I would, think about yeah, it. Yeah. And I wouldn't have brought it up, but I'm sure that they need to know. Because you haven't seen. <laughs> these aren't real tattoos, first of <laughs> the all. The way you're showing it. So he's got these hand tattoos. There's this company. I'm not going to give him free advertising. No. What are you talking about? There's this company that makes these <laughs> tattoos that stick on your hands or anyone For in your like body. For like one to two weeks. One to two weeks, right? Yeah. And. I bought them before. A dream of mine, this is terrible to say. But, Why is it terrible? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's just embarrassing to say. But what? hey, whatever. We're authentic. What? My my dream in yeah. life has always been to be an entrepreneur, to make my own way. Yeah. To not have to sit in a boardroom or in front of a boss for their approval and hope that they keep you around for their dreams. Uh-huh. Like That was the worst thing in the world to me. Always has been. Right. It's a solid dream. So at this point in my life, I'm not at the point where... I can do what I consider a big F you to the world and get hand tattoos. I've always wanted them. Like I have tattoos. Like they're not visible though. They're all on my ribs, which I don't recommend. That's painful. Don't do that. (laughs) Maybe I'm a weenie about it. It was horrible. No, everyone says it's thin skin, man. I have like 8% body fat or something. I'm probably a little higher right now. Still (laughs) sub 10 for sure. But, uh, it's painful on those rib bones. Man. Yeah. It's awful. But anyway, so I, I did put these hand tattoos on to see what it would look like. And I'm totally sold. I'm going to do this. I think it's sexy as hell because you have the body for it. You have the hands for it. Thank you. And you have the personality for it. And you even, we went to the mall today and a guy even complimented him on his hand tattoos. But I had to say they're the fake. You did. Like a, like a, <laughs> like yeah. a but no, it's cool that you can get those things before you actually get the permanent on there. Well, I'm looking at it like, could I like do it. this? Like, it's Absolutely. like, oh, okay, maybe I'll want that one or I that totally one, but I'll it. move that one around and I don't really like that, but maybe I'll try another one. Yeah, and I could totally do it though. I want to do it. But I'm not at a place now where I'm sufficient enough to not have to rely on dudes in suits to pay my bills, <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> that's, the, that's the reality is that yeah. I have customers that would not appreciate this. Right. So 
Um, maybe one day what we're doing here gets to the point and I can give a lecture or seminar to a thousand people and I can have a hand tattoo doing it and no one cares to the world, because it's to about the, the content, not the image, you know? Yeah. But anyway, that's what that's about. I forgot. I've been sitting here the whole time with that. On my I head. know. And I'm glad I brought it up because <laughs> you two people are going to be like, what the hell did he do to his hands? These aren't real tattoos, y'all. This is not real. They so. will be. Maybe one day if things go well, if, if they are, then you know that. Uh, our dream has come true right and that we're able to podcast for a living and help people through addiction for a living and that that would be the dream yeah because i don't think any wheelie would turn us down because i have a tattoo in my hand well they'll just be missing out i hope not if you are you're missing out yeah yeah that's all right it's your fault your loss (laughs) (laughs) all All right. right That's all we got. Yep. Appreciate y'all being here with us. Um, hey, if you haven't already left us a review, we'd really appreciate that. Yeah. Please leave us a review. A lot of people also don't already follow the show. Like three out of four do, but there's still 25% of you hanging out there not following or not subscribing. We'd appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It, in some ways, it helps us know our demographic better so we know how to better deliver stuff to you. Yep. So right please there. help us out with that and tell someone about this. Mention it. If you're part of another community or another group, Tell them about us. Like I'm a little biased here, but I think that the stuff that we spit here every week is different than what most people are talking about. And it needs to be the norm. Right. So help us spread the message. Tell them to listen to an episode before they show up though, please. <laughs> Cause the people that don't, they come in and it's just like, Hey, uh, check that episode out because it answered every question. You it's had. okay. That's uh, some people. I know that people, people find us that way. The whole place is for people to just come in and talk. It, it is. Okay? It is. It's just that a lot of the questions are answered literally in podcasts. That's all. All right. Appreciate you guys being here. Till next time, I am Matt. I'm Paige. And we'll see you. Bye.